Hello, and welcome to Lunch with Lee. I'm your host, Shane Lee. This show is dedicated to the memory of Dean Jones. He had a major impact personally on my career career and many others. And in today's show, we speak to various characters of their experience of Dean Jones. In my opinion, Dean Jones is one of the greatest modern-day players, averaging the mid-40s in both Test and one-day cricket. As a kid, watching him walk out to the crease with confidence and an air of arrogance was theatre at its best. The fielding team went from the hunters to the hunted, as his persona demanded attention and the opposition knew they were in for a fight. He made me want to wear the green and gold. He made me love the game of cricket. I wanted to be Dean Jones when I grew up, and I often pretended to be him in the backyard. So thanks, Dino, for shining the light on cricket for me. Like many people, I will miss you, mate. Rest in peace. First up, I spoke to one of my good teammates and mate, Gavin Robertson, who had the pleasure, I suppose displeasure, of bowling to Dino on the field. Well, Robbo, well, we might just start off, mate. What, what were your memories of Dino? He loved playing, but he also loved dominating, and he, he had this ability to do that, so... I was an off spinner, so yeah. I mean, he'd have like a schnitzel and chips and vegetables, and his dessert would often be an off spinner. So he <laughs> wasn't the most amazing experience, but yeah, he was very aggressive, and he was always good to play against. Actually, you know, you know what is it? When you're off the field, he's a just a really good bloke. You just yeah. like having a cold one and a chat about the game. He loved the game of cricket. Yeah, I often said, Robbo, that when he walked out to bat, the fielders went from the hunters to being the hunted. What was it like bowling to him? Particularly, as you said, as an off-spinner, it would have been tough. I'd been dominated by him a couple of times. And then I remember in 93, 94, and it was the game before you made your debut. Yeah. <laughs> as weird as that sounds. Yeah. And I sort of thought, that's it. Because like, I grew up in an area called Dundas Valley, and you know I was quite used to aggression. So I thought, I'm not going to take this. Mm-hmm. I thought, I'm going to take him on. And... Now, if he wants to get a bit into it, which he would, I, I was like, let's get into it. And if it even gets to the point of, you know, he has to sort this out the old-fashioned way like they did in the 50s, so I'm okay with that too. But <laughs> he uh, he fed off it. I, I thought he might have fallen apart, and he didn't. He just completely fed off it. And he not only nailed me. I think I went one for 119 that day. Wow. But I, know I only went for two sixes, and the only good thing about it was he hit Glenn McGrath for three sixes. <laughs> and it was a day Glenn McGrath will remember, because I remember him pulling Glenn McGrath into the ladies' stand at the SCG, and Pigeon just absolutely blew up a treat, which I, I sort of laugh about now. And I, I remember sort of, I tried, you know, taking him on a bit, but I realised as he got to sort of 40 or 50, he just got better and better, and I thought, this ain't working. Yeah. But you are right. If you're at cover or mid-wicket, you were generally concerned about two things. that Were you getting too close mm. to him because you were afraid he'd just drop it and run, and then you'd get bagged out by your captain? Yes. Or am I getting too close and he's going to be able to hit the ball past me? Yep. And that's what you're constantly worried about. Yeah. It, it, look, his numbers were amazing, mate. Like for a modern-day cricket, he averaged 44 in tests, 46 in one-day cricket. First class, 20,000 runs at 51. And he did it in a flamboyant way too. He was an amazing player. 
Well, his his life or his attitude towards the game and himself would have been fine today, and he would have got his two million dollar contract and you know be one of the top ten players in the world. But yeah. when we played, you weren't allowed to have your own attitude, and you weren't allowed to have your own opinion. Mm. You know, young players today, our test players and one day players, they don't realise that if you didn't fit in to the team and you didn't fit in with the team culture and you started to cause problems or bring up cultural issues or ask the coach, you know, does he know what he's on about? You can do that today. You can discuss stuff. You can put your opinion forward. Where in the old days, he couldn't and we couldn't. And he ultimately figured he was basically put out of the team because of his strong attitude. And, you know, how can you drop anyone averaging 53? And we did. And I must admit, when he got dropped... I thought, oh, he'll come back, and he didn't. And if players today actually stopped and looked at his numbers and how good he was, they'd all go, yeah, I'd love to be as good as him. But then they won't understand how he got dropped and how his international career was finished. Yeah, 32. Um, and I think, mate, there was no greater sight when you played against him at the MCG. The crowd went crazy when he walked out the bat. But even when you're watching him bat on TV... Yeah. He walked out on the MCG. You could feel the crowd through the TV. It was electric, and he, and he owned it. Well, he just owned his own games. And I used to love Dino would go and chase the ball in a one-day game. And he'd run and get it and turn around and do this amazing throw, completely full of energy, like and it was going to go right over middle stuff, and that's what he tried to do every time. And every time he did it, the crowd went berserk, you know, and, and he just fed off it. He's left a long-lasting imprint on Australian cricket and, and for careers to come, particularly myself and, mate, Robbo, I really appreciate your time, mate. And, and it says to all of us, you know, 59 is very young and you've got to enjoy it while you can. And um, thanks for your time today, Robbo. Love you, mate. Catch up soon. The only thing I can say is valet and we were all pretty sad. Take care, mate. Next up, I speak with Dave Faulkner, the lead singer of the Hoodoo Gurus, about a few times that he caught up with Dean Jones socially. I met him through a mate of mine, Jagsy, and uh, uh, obviously I was impressed. <laughs> Besides the fact of being a legendary cricketer, he's a, a pretty devilishly handsome bloke and a great uh, conversationalist and a lot of fun to be around. So it was just amazing to meet up with him. And uh, we went out several times. One memorable time was with Beefy Botham as well. So hearing those two blokes talk about cricket and just generally, you know, needle each other and they were, they were great mates and it was fantastic to see. I had stars in my eyes a little bit. So, you know, we got to kind of know him kind of well. You know, I wasn't, I wouldn't say I'd, you know, be someone that he'd ring up when he came into town. But if we, you know, happened to be somewhere, it was always really fantastic saying good day. So him and Greg Matthews were, were sort of the real first, real rock stars of cricket, weren't they? Absolutely, yeah. Well, Greg is such a colourful character. Uh, I think um, it outshines sometimes uh, how good a cricketer he was. But <laughs> Dean, I don't think that ever happened. I think uh, everyone always knew that he was just an absolute legend as a cricketer and his behaviour off, you know, the field. He was really, he really held himself together really well, actually. He presented incredibly well. You never had a moment of trouble with him. You know, he's not the sort of person to ever get into any sort of aggravation with anybody or you know, nothing was ever too hard. He was just very easygoing. But at the same time, you know, really down to earth and, and uh, practical. Anyway. He was a good bloke. Yeah, he was a really good bloke. And I think um, from an entertainer's point of view, mate, he had that star power as well, didn't he? Absolutely. As I said, you know, very good looking, yeah. great conversationalist. You know, I mean, he was obviously uh, a very popular boy around the place, you know, and, uh, and, and you know, and just as a, as a mate as well, not just, you know, for ladies, but, you know, 
I'm sure, um, you know, men were pretty much, you know, <laughs> in love with him a little bit too, you know, in terms of just what a uh, top bloke he was and, and how much fun he was to be around. Yeah, I was just talking with Gavin Robertson before, and I said, um, you know, he's going to leave, he's leaving a lasting imprint on on Australian cricket, and, and a lot of young cricketers like myself growing up. He was an amazing guy to watch. He was a great role model of the game, and he's going to be sadly missed. Well, I tell you, I hadn't seen him play very much. This is funny. I don't know why. I guess because I was always touring a lot, you know, when he was in his prime. But um, I did get the opportunity. We were playing in in Melbourne, and uh, he was playing for Victoria in the Shield game, and uh, I went out to the MCG and saw him perform there, and. I was a bit blown away because I, I hadn't realised just how aggressive his batting stance was. I mean, he held that bat at a 45-degree angle. He wasn't covering his stumps in the least. He was saying to the bowler, I'm going to smash you or, you know, you're going to have to, have to get past this. You know, he wasn't, uh, it wasn't like a defensive position, let me put it that way, you know, really aggressive. And also, you know, he's so tall as well, so the bat looked tiny in his hands, really, you know. So added to that strange angle was just, in, you know, it was like, how the hell does this guy not get out, you know, every second ball? Mm. But I love the, the story he told me, though, which is, I don't know if, you, if you've spoken about it with anyone else, but the famous double century in India he got, the uh, behind-the-scenes story of that was amazing because he'd had a huge night the night before and he was hurting. Oh, I didn't realise that. Hurting terribly. <laughs> I believe he vomited out on the pitch, you know. Um, he did. It was a stinking hot day. He had the worst hangover in history and he went out there and batted for how many damn hours and he's got a double century. It's just insane how he could do that. I mean, 210, yeah. Yeah, unbelievable. You know, I mean, I cannot get out of bed if I, you know, have more than my share. But, you know, here's someone that goes out in the middle of a stinking hot day and just how do you even coordinate your mm. reflexes to be able to do that? I mean, it's- well, I think he was batting with Alan Border at the time, so he he had to he had to, I think Alan Border probably knew he had a big night, so he had to he had to had to push on. It was it's a funny. He had a really good sense of humour too, Dino, because um he could always weave in that two hundred and ten score in Madras in any story. So you could say to him something like. Oh, Dino, have you seen that new um, show on Netflix? And he goes, yeah, it actually reminds me of that turn on 10 I got in Madras that time. <laughs> <laughs> well, hey, wouldn't you? I mean, that, <laughs> I'd be having it tattooed on my forehead. <laughs> That's right, mate. In fact, he did have a tattooed on his forehead, in a manner of speaking, didn't he? He also had tattooed on his forehead, great, great champion bloke. That's, that's something everyone could tell from 100 yards away. Yeah, beautifully said. All right, mate, thank you. Thanks, mate. On next, I speak with Len Pascoe, former fast bowler for Australia, on his experience of bowling to a young, brash Dean Jones. Look, uh, the first time I come across Dino was uh, in a Sheffield Shield game up at Newcastle, New South Wales versus Victoria. And uh, this uh, tall, skinny guy comes into uh. bat, and I was in the middle of the big show. The big, I was in the big game, and uh, so I just wanted to get through the the Shield game without any injuries. And uh, anyway, this um, cocky bloke comes dancing down the wicket and slaps me over my head for, for four, and then he, he's cutting on the rise, he's uh, pulling on the rise, and, and I thought to myself, where the hell did I get this bloke from? Anyway, the next over, Jeff Lawson's bowling. And, um, and he, there he is, he's blocking him and treating Henry, Jeff Lawson as if he's... Uh, Bloody the greatest fast bowler in the world. And I, I bowl at the other end again, and the same thing happens. He's slogging me all around the ground. And then I realised what was going on. Uh, either Henry was bowling really, really well. Yep. He was only just coming into the team. Or Dino had decided that 
uh, I was going to be one of his stepping stones to a bigger career. And uh, wow. he targeted me, and um, and that was when I first come across him. And um, he, he was uh, kind of um, a little bit brash, a little bit uh, but he could back it up with his ability. He definitely could. So how would you bowl to someone like him? Because he could play all around the ground, couldn't he? Um, he as you said, he could pull oh, the yeah, ball, cut yeah. the ball, drive the ball really well. How, how would you try and bowl to him? Well, look, in, in that era, the first of the players that was hitting on the rise was David Oaks. And to get an, a, it was a part of a new era where the batsmen become more aggressive and they played on the rise. It's uh, pretty difficult to find your length. If you're short, they tend to slap you around square of the wicket. If you're full, they gotcha. uh, they tend to stand their ground. So they're difficult uh, to get a length to bowl to them. And that's the whole idea of why they bat like that. And uh, yeah. the only way you can bowl to someone like that is uh, like Henry was doing that day where Henry's a tall, fast bowler. He didn't bowl flat. He got that extra foot and a half bounce. Yeah, so he's hitting more towards the shoulder of the bat, where I was hitting more like the middle of the bat. And do you think do you think the way he was playing in that was because of, I suppose, World Series and then into One Day Cricket? Dino was named, I think, in the greatest all-time One Day team for Australia. So and he was a big part of that. He was a great One Day player, wasn't he? Look, uh, I you know I watched many of his innings in the ODIs. The initial one-dayers were kind of like a speeded-up game of cricket. But then uh, the players, the teams, they got a little bit more savvy and the game become uh, more technical. And Dino forced a lot of changes in the game, the way we approached the game. The other thing about that one day is during World Series cricket was that up until Packer took over, the game basically had a camera at one end, camera at the other, and all long-distance shots. And I was talking to one of the ladies who was involved during that World Series era, and uh, she told me that it got called in the Kerry Packer's office, and Kerry Packer said, that's it, we've got to get people at the ground, what are you going to do? Uh, and uh, uh, she, she said, well, we were going to sex up the game. And I thought, oh, what do they mean by that? And she said, well, you watch Days of Our Lives or The Bold and the Beautiful, and there's a lot of close-ups of the players, uh, their headshots, their eyes, their, their emotions. And um, Dino come across as a, a, a very affable, charismatic character personified by the direction in which um, the, the uh, cameras were taking him. And he knew how to play to it. Yeah, but that's, that's really well put, Len. I'd never thought about it like that. It was definitely, for me as a young kid coming through and watching him in his early days, yeah, there was a lot. He was the pin-up boy, and, um, and every kid wanted to be him in the backyard. We used to copy his stance. Remember his wide stance he used to have, and he's, he'd put his back foot down first, followed by his front foot, and his bat would almost be at a 45-degree angle. He was great to watch, and he's going to be sadly missed, isn't he, mate? When you looked at his stance, the only other fella that I've seen a stance like that was Graham Pollock. And uh, even if you look at Bradman, uh, Bradman, he had his uh, bat between his legs. But uh, Graham Pollock, uh, bowl, trying to uh, bowl to him was difficult. But in Dino's case, he was Victorian, and Vic Victorians had this kind of brashness about them. You know, you've only got to look at Merv Hughes, and uh, uh, you see that 
that sort of Aussie rules type attitude coming through. The one thing I will say for Dino is that he was great company to be with. And um, we, I played in a number of uh, MS, multiple sclerosis matches down in Melbourne uh, with him. And uh, I remember we had about 500 bats to sign. And uh, I had signed in the bats and I kept on signing everything. I signed the bananas, the oranges, uh, the soap, the toilet paper, and then rolled the toilet paper back up again. And Dino said, oh, I've signed the contract. I can't sign any bats. Uh, so clever. Got out of signing 500 bats. I remember that same match, Murph Hughes was on the massage table and he had his shirt off and there would have been, I reckon, uh, four masseurs working on it. And, uh, I mean, he's, he's the hairiest bloke you've ever seen in your life. He is. Without a shirt. Yeah, I know. And uh, I looked around at Tomo and I looked around with Dean. I said, you think he's getting a massage? It's not. Those nurses are knitting a jumper. Uh, Dino had a really good sense of humour as well. Very dry, a lot like Doug Walters. Yeah, he did, mate. Well, Lenny, I appreciate your time, mate. Mate, you said some beautiful things about Dean Jones there, and I really appreciate your time, buddy. Thanks. Okay, okay, Shane. We'll take a quick break now. We'll be back after lunch on Lunch with Lee. It's no secret I love a gin. And one of our sponsors here, Lunch with Lee, is the Gin Society, which I happen to be a member of. When you sign up, they'll send you a full-size bottle of Amazing Craft Gin delivered to your door every two months, plus the latest issue of their beautiful Gin Journal magazine and a surprise gift absolutely free. Each gin is sourced by a team of experts looking for exclusive, unique and exquisite drops from around the world. A subscription to the Gin Society is your passport to the world of craft gin. No strings attached. Cancel any time. Check out the website, www.ginsociety.com. All listeners of Lunch With Lee can enjoy an exclusive $20 off their order when they join the Gin Society. Simply visit www.ginsociety.com and just use the code LUNCHWITHLEE20 at checkout. Spartan Sports is recognised as one of the world's most exciting and innovative sporting brands with a community focus. Our product range across cricket, rugby, football, volleyball, basketball and fitness has been developed to sell directly to any club, school, corporate or individual. Go to our website and order directly to your front door, www.spartansports.com. Spartan Sports, unearth the warrior in you. John O'Brien is a legend of Australia's beer industry. In 2003, he dreamed of producing a great-tasting beer that could be enjoyed by everyone, free from the ill effects of mass-produced wheat and barley. John began a brewing journey blending unique aromas and flavours offered by ancient grains such as sorghum and millet. He perfected recipes over time which have led to 40 local and international awards, including three gold medals at the Australian International Beer Awards, a gold medal at the Indies and a silver medal at the Beer World Cup. Proudly 100% Aussie-owned, made in Ballarat, O'Brien Beer is Australia's most awarded gluten-free beer and widely available around Australia through major retailers and online at rebellionbrewing.com.au. O'Brien Beer, the beer that loves your back. We now catch up with Gus Wallen, former Triple M host and founder of Gotcha for Life. It was hard to get to know Dino unless you were already an Australian cricketer at the top of your game. But I'll tell you the story. I mean, basically, we would commentary, press box, and I was just like, 
like tell me stories and Merv Hughes is going, mate, he'll tell you them all day if you want it. So we Triple M did the cricket. We did three Pakistan tests and the five Ashes test last time. And he was working, I believe, for Macquarie Sports Radio. So most of the time you're off. So stories come out and stuff. And one of the great stories was when, um, you know, I was sitting with Merv Hughes. Who, Merv was on the Triple M team and it was during the Ashes and we were, there was a rain delay and we were watching the races and we were making a bit of a racket carrying on and our horse that we'd put 50 bucks on was going well and we were screaming and screaming at this. And then anyway, we were laughing our heads off and then Dino came and said, what are you blokes carrying on about? And Merv, would, you get stuff, Jonesy, da-da-da-da, because they'd been great mates. And, you know, I think because Merv and I were getting along well, Dino probably felt comfortable. He came and sat down and Merv then got up and did his stint and I was sort of left with Dean Jones and I'm going, oh, my God, Dean Jones, oh, my God. And I just started asking questions about, you know, the innings in India and coming down the track and to the spinners using your feet. We all did that as kids. And the fact that I wanted to be Dean Jones and my brother wanted to be Dean Jones. So when we were playing in the backyard and the fact that he was the first player to ever, you know, wear sunglasses and he's the first bloke to turn ones into twos, twos into threes. The bloke that I thought was the first proper athlete to ever play cricket that I could remember anyway, he actually looked like he could run all day and play all day and stuff. And I suppose I just splurted all that out in the first 45 seconds and he went, oh, okay, I've got some fresh blood here. I can tell all my stories too. So we always just found ourselves through that series, you know, chatting away together and I, I enjoyed them a lot more than he probably enjoyed them. But there was a text message that came back when I did the Cricket Tragic show on Foxtel, the uh, producer sent a note to Dean saying, look, would you like to come on? Gus is doing these legend stories. He goes, I love Gus, but um, I'm not with Fox, so that you've got enough of you blokes to do, so I'll politely decline. So my producer, Jake, sent me that a um, screenshot of that after he'd heard that he'd passed away, and it was just lovely to think that he thought, you know, positively of me because... You know, he was very earnest. He loved his cricket. But for me, um, I'll always have that those great memories. Not not a lot of people get to sit and listen to a legend. So, yeah, I feel very, very blessed. And uh, when I heard that he had passed away, I was extremely sad. Then the news came through that Brett Lee had tried to bring him back. So I rang Binger, who's obviously one of my ambassadors, um, at Gotcha for Life and spoke to Binger and yeah, it was, a, it was a very, very emotional day. And I had a mate of mine that I walked with and he said, I can't even talk about it, Cussie. Just don't even bring it up. I'm, I'm not ready to talk. And that's that's a 51-year-old man who couldn't talk about it without breaking down. So it shows what influence he had on us as a generation, us sort of 50-year-olds. He really was Mr. Cricket. He was Mr. Cricket before Mr. Cricket was Mr. Cricket. He changed the game. That's why he is a legend. He used to push everyone else to be fitter and stronger and stuff. He, he changed the game. And that, to me, is what a legend is all about. We now hear from former New South Wales and Australian wicketkeeper Phil Emery and his thoughts on playing the man Dean Jones. Mate, what were your memories of Dean Jones? Because you would have captained against him and played against him. What, what were your your memories of him? Dino, I've never uh, I never played with him, so I, I only got to play against him intermittently. And at the back end of his career, I played against him a bit. Mate, he was a you know proud Victorian, carried on that tradition of hating New South Wales. Every time you played him, he, uh, there'd be something that would go on. Not necessarily that controversial, but you always were left in no doubt that he was on the other side. But if you didn't get him early, God, you could be in for a long day. 
because his numbers are just that good, you know, and he just loves scoring runs and he loves scoring runs against New South Wales. So the whole idea was, you know, let's just stick to what we had to do and let's not engage with him too much because he'll get his back up. But except for one day we were in, in Melbourne and pretty much at a full-strength side and Mark Taylor was captain and, and Jonesy, Jonesy's in the other side. We got through the, you know, what do we do about, you know, Elliot and what do we do about whoever it was, Vintani or whoever. And then what about Jonesy? And everyone's going like, well, let's not talk to him. Let's do the same thing. And, and Mo, Greg Matthews pipes up and goes, I'm going to sledge him. And Tubby went, okay, well, that's it. Just you, no one else. And because it was so out of the box, Greg got under his skin. Jonesy, first over, Greg's on and hit. And also, Greg had probably spent a bit of time, I think, bleeding Warney for some information the day before, and uh, and which which just added fuel to the fire. So he's he's saying a few things that might have had a you know stuff we didn't understand. And uh, next thing you know, he runs down the deck and and misses one, and he's it hits his leg pole, and he's out for a globe. <laughs> and at that point, you know. Mo's sort of told Jonesy where the where the sheds were and thanked Warney from the middle of the ground. <laughs> at which point Jonesy ran in trying to kill Warney. And then uh second second innings it continued and he hit one straight back at me. He tried to hit you know, tried to take him on and I reckon that's the only time I've ever seen that kind of work, but we paid for it. The next time we played Victoria Yeah, I remember that. He got hundred and fifty, I think, and belted us everywhere. Yeah. You know, and it was like... Yeah, he made us pay. Yeah, we went back to saying nothing. <laughs> As a wicketkeeper, mate, what was he like standing behind the stumps too? Because he had extremely fast feet, didn't he? I think I've stumped him once off McGill. Other than that, mate, he, he got to the pitch of the ball, he hit him up, you know, he, he improvised his shots. One thing I would say about him is he, he's one of the few guys that not just played the ball, but he played the bowler, and he'd take the bowler on from virtually ball one. Hence, you know, why he was so good in one-day cricket. From a, a New South Wales perspective, he was he was a guy that we fiercely both hated and loved playing against, but there was always a respect there, wasn't there? And, uh, and you always have a beer afterwards, oh, which was nice. Oh, absolutely. Look, none of, none of the stuff that ever happened that was like, as I said, with um, that, that incident with Greg or whatever, that never got spoken about again, you know? Like, that just moved on, walked in, shook hands ago. Because you know, there's guys around Australia that you played against that made the game worthwhile playing. Yeah, that's right. Mm. And and he's one of them. Well, mate, thanks for your time, Phil. Mate, it's one thing I've, you, you reminisce, but you realise 59's way too young and we've all, all got to try and catch up with our mates. So, mate, let's have a game of golf soon, Phil. And if it's not a telltale sign to get ourselves checked. Cheers, Sean. And finally, we catch up with Wiggles' Greg Page. His thoughts on Dean Jones and the value of learning CPR. Hey, Pagey, what were your original sort of memories of, of, of Dean Jones as a cricketer? Well, Dino was one of those people that, you know, went out there and just had a go, didn't he? I mean, he kind of invented quite a few shots and just took a real cavalier approach. He was a real pin-up boy, but a, a promoter's dream as well, I suppose. Like, you wanted him in your team because he brought people through the turnstiles. Yeah, absolutely. He, he was the real showman. And I think... Beyond that, beyond the showmanship, there was this real, um, the, the real Australian spirit shone through in the way Dino played his game of cricket. He was so gutsy and determined, and he just really epitomised the Australian character, I think. And to see that on the sporting field was just so inspiring for young cricketers. He, he would really do things that were, yeah, you know, I was going to say unconventional. Um, 
they, they kind of were at the time, you know. He, he really did take on the, the faster bowls. In fact, I was uh, having a look at some footage of Dino this morning and he was taking on a young bowler by the name of Shane Lee, actually. You know, it, came, it was the world versus Australia. And I thought, and it wasn't a bad ball bowled by young Shano. It was quite a decent ball, but he cracked the boundary for four because he just had this innate sense of timing. And when you look at the way he played some of those shots, it was like perfect timing. So when you combine that level of skill with that cavalier approach, you had somebody who was an absolutely formidable opponent. And yes, the ultimate entertainer. One of the things I want to talk to you quickly about, Paige, is you're doing some fantastic work in the CPR space. And I was lucky enough to be involved with you. It was a couple of weeks ago when I think you hosted the world's biggest online CPR webinar. Yes. And literally, mate, a day or two later, my brother Brett's performing CPR on, on Dean Jones, mate. And... It just goes to show that everyone should learn the skill of CPR, mate, because you never know when you may or may not need it. Yeah, look, obviously, you know, this story has a, a very sad and tragic aspect to it. And, you know, as you say, it, it is a very powerful message and, and one that cannot be understated. And my tone is going to change here because it is very serious. Being able to have a go at performing CPR on somebody regardless of whatever the outcome may be, being able to have a go will give that person a chance of surviving. And that chance is better than no chance. So, you know, obviously Binger got in there and he had a go. He gave Dino a chance. Now, there's many, many reasons why CPR may not work on someone, we can't go into that today because it's a medical conversation and I, I don't know enough about it. I know quite a bit about it, but not enough. However, what I do know, and it's proven in many, many studies all over the world, once you start CPR on somebody, the chance of them surviving goes from 10% to 70%. So that's a massive increase. It is. It's incredible. And Shano, you know, you've had a go at CPR on somebody as well. When you're in that situation, it's spur of the moment and feeling empowered to have a go is a much better feeling than feeling disempowered or you know, afraid to have a go. It is a skill for life, literally, and it's one that I, I wish everybody would learn a little bit about. So please, if you're listening to this at the moment, make sure you get skilled and familiar with CPR. Pages, anywhere people can go to view the online CPR thing we did, we did two weeks ago so they can get their heads around how to actually implement CPR? Yeah, so look, the, the online thing we did was live stream, but it's still up on YouTube. If you go to Heart of the Nation, so type in Heart of the Nation or Heart of the Neighbourhood is actually the name of the CPR class that we did. You'll find it there. And it's, it's about an hour long. It's an entertainment extravaganza because I wanted to make it something that's accessible to people. You know, there's a lot of information in there, you know, information from people like yourself who have done CPR on people when you've been out just doing your everyday business. You come across somebody who needs some help. There's information from the ambulance service there about what happens when you call triple zero. Then, of course, there is the instruction about how to do CPR. And I think the main message is any attempt at resuscitation is always better than no attempt. So please check it out. Heart of the neighbourhood. Get familiar with CPR because you never know when you might need to call upon it to save a life. No, well said, Paige, and, and thanks for doing this. I think you know one of the things I wanted to get across with this sort of little special episode of Lunch with Lee is that 
whilst we, we will miss Dino and he had a he had a massive impact on not only me personally but for cricketers all around the world. One I suppose positive that could come out is that people hopefully can realise they need to learn CPR. It's not that hard to do. I think that what we all found out, once you understand the basics of it, get in and have a go because it could be your loved one that you may need to implement it on down the track. That's right, mate. Yeah, look, it, it isn't hard. Anyone can do it. You don't have to be qualified. You don't have to be formally trained in CPR. You just need to have a go. You know, it is a very tragic loss to the world. I only met Dino personally once. Uh, I got had the pleasure of playing a game of cricket with him in um, Wollongong for Adam Gilchrist's day down there, the um, stumping serious diseases. And it, it was great because, I mean, obviously Dino had kids that grew up with the Wiggles and he knew who I was and I grew up watching him on TV um, playing cricket. So, you know, just one of those magic moments in your life when you get to meet a childhood hero and, uh, you know, he did have an impact on many, many thousands of people all around the world. As you have, Pagey. Mate, good to hear your voice, mate, and lovely to speak to you, and uh, let's catch up soon for a beer, buddy. Yeah, good on you. Thanks, Shano. That's it for Lunch With Lee this week. A big thank you goes out to our guests, Gavin Robertson, Dave Faulkner, Lenny Pascoe, Phil Emery, Gus Wallen and Greg Page. A big thank you to our sponsors, The Gin Society, Spartan Sports and O'Brien Beer. And thanks to Hilton Headley for your hard work behind the scenes. Check us out on our socials. I'm at Lunch With Lee. We'll be back same time next week to talk about more sport, music and business on another Cracker episode of Lunch With Lee. We'll see you then.